Well, this is annoying. I recorded this episode last Wednesday, August 24th. On the 25th, Amazon announced it will be shutting down Amazon Care. And I thought about re-recording this episode, but I don't think it changes much, particularly since Amazon Care is closing down due to overlaps with the one medical deal. There's only one or two spots where I mention Amazon Care, so I just wanted to drop this preface in so that you know that I know that you know this episode came out following the Amazon Care news, despite it being recorded before it. Hi, I'm Paul Schrempf. Welcome to Microdosing, where we look at specific tangible topics, such as a product, business, or individual that represents a bigger trend in the business of healthcare. In this season, I will be revisiting my op-ed format, where I share my thoughts, observations, and opinions on things, namely on the topics related to transformation, and as it relates to mergers, acquisitions, and spinoffs, as these events come with more publicly available information on their strategic intent, as well as other common knowledge in the healthcare community. I hope you enjoy. In this episode, we'll be talking about Amazon acquiring One Medical. They say opinions are like assholes. Everyone has them and most of them stink. Nothing could be true when it comes to Amazon and healthcare, and in particular, its recent acquisition of One Medical. I'll share my opinion here and we'll see if it holds up over time or can be lumped in with the rest of the basement-dwelling amateur podcasters and bloggers, which I knowingly am very much one. To start with, I'm not going to zoom in on just the one medical deal, but rather why I believe Amazon is having more sustainable success at making inroads into healthcare. All of these attributes are relevant if you are going through a transformation, or even if you're just thinking of the future of healthcare. For Amazon, these attributes are a proven playbook as it relates to truly integrating major acquisitions, the number 1.1 million, the number 170 million, and their mastery of the platform business. Let's talk about these. In parallel, Advocate Aurora is merging with Atrium Health to form a $27 billion enterprise. With one being exponentially bigger than the other, you'd think we'd be talking more about the Advocate Aurora and Atrium deal, but we're not. The reason is hospital mergers are boring. They're just merging for scale and cost containment. It's great if you're the CEO, it buys the enterprise a, a few quarters or a couple years, but it doesn't dramatically change the trajectory of your business. Few, if any, new capabilities are gained, and it's usually two mediocre organizations coming together to form one giant mediocre organization. Just look at any system over the years, before and after mergers. HCAP scores largely stay the same, some even decline, and you see little movement in hospital rankings or Medicare STARS ratings. I would even argue little effort is put into integration to generate new value. Dignity Health and CHA was a big merger in 2019, and the new enterprise name was Common Spirit, yet they continued to run Dignity and CHA as separate businesses. Advocate and Aurora was even lazier. Not only did they not pick a new name, they kept both names and both logos and just smashed them together. They even kept two CEOs later acknowledging that the one CEO model made more sense than a two CEO model. One medical aside, that's why people are excited with the Amazon deal. 
Whether you look at the PillPack, Whole Foods, or Ring acquisitions, you saw two companies coming together and it led to better value creation. That being an improved customer experience, leading to greater sales, and improved operations, how M&A should work. When M&A is used for transformation efforts, remember why you are doing deals and the value creation it's designed for. Deal team and leadership should over-communicate the strategic intent to operators. You don't know how many times I've talked to senior leaders after a deal and they say things like, I don't know, I wasn't part of the deal team. You can't expect operators to deliver on deal expectations if they don't know the rationale and the strategy of the deal itself. The other dynamic is that leadership is afraid to change too much. That's bullshit. Uncertainty is your biggest enemy during an integration. People like good news, followed by bad news, and they like no news the least. If your top talent isn't sure where the organization is going and whether it aligns with their career aspirations, they are going to be the first ones to go. One third of senior leadership of an acquired company will depart in the first year. Being indecisive or delaying tough decisions only accelerates that. Contrary to your instincts, it will not slow it down. It's better to deliver bad news early than have prolonged uncertainty. Amazon is great at making acquisitions and integrating them in a timely manner. And that's the first reason why I love the trajectory they are on with PillPack, One Medical, and others. The second point is this number of 1.1 million that I mentioned earlier. Amazon has 1.1 million employees in the U.S., not only does that make it one of the largest self-insured employers, it makes it the largest self-insured employer that is also investing heavily in becoming a healthcare provider. I don't think people understand the importance large self-insured employers play in healthcare innovation. You would like to believe health insurers are developing innovative new approaches to value-based care and benefits, but sadly they're not. The government actually caps the amount of profits payers can generate. The intention is so that executives at those organizations don't get exorbitant salaries and bonuses. The byproduct, however, is that it starves capital reserves and in turn innovation. Whenever you tell someone they can't be overly profitable, you're also saying don't be overly innovative. Thus, the forgettable innovation you see from health insurance companies and why there's a disconnect in their advertisements about jogging and avocado toast while they routinely screw up your claims and billing. Sorry, I, I got lost in a tangent there. That's where self-insured employers come in. Any major innovator in the benefits and or value-based care space seeks self-insured employers for that first beachhead, from mental health to gym memberships to the latest wellness app. If you get a self-insured employer to buy into it, you immediately have access to a large pool of consumers and patients. This is great not only for revenue, but you now have a larger pool of data to prove outcomes and ROI, all while bypassing the muck and mire of slow payer adoption. And then once you have one or multiple large employers on board, you now have the fact base and a proven value prop to go back and win with those payers. While most healthcare innovators fight tooth and nail for that first self-insured employer to adopt, Amazon shortcuts that because it is its own best first customer. So we have its proven ability to do M&A acquisitions and integration well. 
and its ability to use itself as a self-insured early adopter with its 1.1 million employees. The third piece is its customer base, specifically its prime members that total 170 million. That's more than the population of Russia. And they are largely happy and associate a great experience with Amazon. If I was to launch any new service and you were to tell me that I have a channel to directly reach 170 million consumers and that they already want to like me, that is a huge advantage. Now, this last piece, their mastery of the platform business. I've been talking about platform businesses in healthcare for years. They've existed in other industries for decades, yet the term and concept still seems rare and foreign to healthcare leaders. By definition, it's a business model that creates value by facilitating exchanges between two or more interdependent groups, usually consumers and producers. Uber is a platform business, Airbnb is a platform business, and of course, Amazon is probably the most famous platform business. Sometimes it sells its own products, but mostly it pairs consumers with other suppliers and manufacturers, and it's just creating an exchange. What makes this important? It knows how to own the front door and is first choice. It doesn't need to provide everything on its own. It just needs to curate it. And since it has a captive set of consumers, 170 million prime consumers, and, and who knows how many non-prime consumers, manufacturers rely on them for sales volumes. And that's what the U.S. healthcare system needs, someone to own the front door, help with navigation, and provide basic primary and urgent care services, and triage you elsewhere for things beyond that which is also one medical's core competency. So if your first choice where people go to navigate the healthcare system and you can potentially tap into 170 million consumers, you have control over the most patient volume of any health system or payer. For reference, United Healthcare is the largest payer with membership of 70 million. That gives you leverage over the payers, providers, and life science companies just on patient volume alone. And if you're the first choice and own patient navigation, you've completely changed how the game is played and how traditional providers source their patient volume. So you have an organization that is great at integrations. It's already a self-insured employer of 1.1 million people and continues to pilot Amazon Cares with that group. It has a captive, largely loyal consumer base of 170 million consumers, and it knows how to operate successful platform businesses that has the potential to own the front door and navigation for millions of people's healthcare experiences. While one might argue that Amazon isn't transforming, I would argue that it's rare to see healthcare dis disruption come from a non-traditional healthcare player. It's leaning into two core competencies of M&A integrations and running platform businesses, two things that stereotypical healthcare companies suck at. It's also using its strategic assets of its large employee base and self-insured benefits model to accelerate innovation, as well as being able to port over its hundreds of million consumers to new service offerings, similar to what is already done with Amazon Pharmacy and its PillPack offering. As it relates to transformation, ask yourself, what are the core competencies and strategic assets of your organization that you'll leverage to open up a new set of competencies and assets?
The other more pragmatic question for your organization is whether Amazon will be friend or foe. If you're a specialty practice or ambulatory surgical center, I could see Amazon being a friend and a great source of patient volume. If you're a large IDN and primary care and urgent care revenue is critical, get ready. I don't think a white label virtual care app and Epic's MyChart will be enough to compete. For payers, your historical lack of breakthrough innovation has much of the industry pessimistic. However, you have a leg up in a world where fewer and fewer patients have PCPs or at least a minimal relationship with one. There's a large segment that goes to their payer's site first for care navigation. The experience just sucks right now, and the handoffs are cold and non-existent sometimes. As it relates to the future of healthcare platforms that can compete with Amazon's future, I see Teladoc in the mix, and I see Kaiser Permanente holding strong as well. From there, there needs to be a series of M&A deals, ideally that involve payer, provider, and some digital players. It's been shared that CVS was eyeing Win Medical itself. Picking up Signify Health now was, might be interesting, but they acquired Caremark in 2007 and Edna in 2017, and I'm not sure what to think. They are either just another healthcare company that makes acquisitions and never does anything with the integrations, or they're healthcare's biggest sleeping giant. In any event, the Amazon One Medical deal isn't what gets me excited. It's the string of moves they are making that are generating real headlines every quarter for the past three years. Remember, Amazon got authorized to deliver care in all 50 states in March of 2021 and went national this past February. And for employees in Seattle, it's been around since 2019. The PillPack deal is now several years ago. Amazon's entry into healthcare has been as subtle as a bulldozer. It hasn't made grandiose promises. It's not being overly secretive. It's slowly and steadily moving in. And as you look at your transformation agenda, learn from them and choose to compete or partner with them. And it's entirely possible to do both. Albeit, I would encourage you to stick with a single CEO model. The two CEO model hasn't had a great track record these days. Thank you for listening to Microdosing. If you'd like more content like this, go to our website at md-pod.com. And that will triage you to all the common podcast platforms and social media pages to follow us. Until next time, cheers.